We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Today we are going to dive into Mario's latest rookie best ball rankings, guys to target, guys to fade at their current ADP. A lot to get to on this episode. Let's get it rolling. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. Uh, Mario, before we get into the rookies uh, from the best ball perspective, all that good stuff, full episode on that coming here. I want to ask you this Kyle Rudolph to Tampa Bay. Is Kyle Rudolph washed or did he just have to play for the 2021 New York Giants? That's a. Uh... That's almost like a philosophical, uh, <laughs> there's no answer, there's all answers permitted kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a case where I think he was always overrated as a prospect. Like, yeah, Notre Dame, uh, it's easy to forget, when he was there, he was kind of hyped as almost like a, I mean, at the time, you would have said something like Jeremy Shockey if he wanted to be uh, flattering to a tight end prospect, and I, I think people were hyping him kind of like that, or like at least like a Greg Olson Somebody like that, and Rudolph was never really that. He was he was kind of um, too big almost, and and uh, like he was pretty athletic for how big he is, but he's still just too big uh, to to excel as a pass catcher as much as he does a blocker and just kind of like a space eater. So I don't know if you know being thirty two. I guess he's going to turn thirty three in November. I don't know if any of that is going to uh, you know change that dynamic at all. But he's probably going to be a really good scheme fit for the Buccaneers and. It also, if nothing else, kind of takes some pressure off of uh, Kate Otten, the Washington tight end, who um, has had some really productive moments and, and might actually be a steal pick for them, but has also had a ton of injury issues. And right. he's not a, he's not a bulky tight end. He's almost like another a Bray type, like 250 even kind of guy, uh, more athletic than hulking. So I still don't know if I would think I don't know if I take it for a given that Rudolph would even lead the team in tight end targets. It still could be Brait or Otten, but I would expect Rudolph to start. And um, I think like uh, the more Rudolph plays, the more, the more of a like Bruce Arians looking offense it would be. So uh, I don't know 
and by that I mean like the tight end blocks more and and doesn't really run downfield. Like Arians would always want a tight end to stay and block rather than run downfield. And if they did, if they didn't block, he would want them running off in the flats or running some kind of just a shovel pass kind of thing. If the other receiver routes downfield don't get open, so he just kind of didn't really believe in using them. Uh, and then the Buccaneers only really got Gronkowski going last year after Brady seemed to get his you know hands on the offense. So. Uh, that change did occur from, you know, Gronk year one to Gronk year two, but I don't think Rudolph has any of the, you know, abilities that would dictate that kind of accommodation again. So we might see it. I don't know. We, we just might see him kind of block a lot. And uh, certainly he could catch some touchdowns. Like I'm, I guess I should have said he, he, uh, although he's more of a blocker, I guess he's always been pretty good in the red zone. Like he's always good at playing, you know, that box out kind of uh, when the field gets small, he's, still big so he, he kind of can just keep the ball away at a certain point and if they're getting into scoring ranges off in his last two years he could probably catch like I don't know seven or eight touchdowns even if he's only catching 40 passes so uh, that's on the table uh, but I don't think I don't think he's going to catch like 50 passes or anything like that I think it's uh, if he if he's useful in fantasy it's because he scored a lot Okay, so how do you go about it then for you know for for drafting purposes? Obviously, the the ADP will 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 climb up a little bit now now that he's you know kind of back on the radar a little bit. And then you know what do you do if you have some Cameron Braid exposure? I may or may not be asking for myself. Yeah, I can't remember if I made any Braid picks. It would have been a uh, very late just because he, he's he's a weird player because he was a pretty good athlete coming out and uh, he he's played I think even as recently last year a lot of slot receiver for the Buccaneers and yet he did nothing as a pass catcher the targets that he got were just awful uh so I don't know I don't know if 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 some of those targets were just kind of like low quality targets and he was stuck sort of setting a lot of pick routes and things like that I don't know if that's why he was so unproductive because he was productive earlier in his career right and uh he, did he have some kind of like catastrophic injury? I can't remember anything that he's, he's not that old. So I don't know why he would have fallen off so uh, horrifically, but um, in any case, if, if he keeps producing like last year, then yeah, Brait might not get a whole lot of playing time. Like Otten, if he stays healthy, which I don't think we can really take for a given, I guess. Uh, but if, if Otten stays healthy, he might kind of just hit Brait right there. If they're, if they're mostly going to be doing uh, you know, lighter tight end work and slot receiver type tasks, uh, they would profile for that and Rudolph would not. And uh, so it's, it's one of those two, if it's one of those two, but yeah, I just don't know. I don't know if, if, it, if it's great from five years ago, if it's great from last year, last year, Bray probably doesn't play, probably doesn't do anything if he does play. Um, but I just don't know. And I, I just, uh, I don't know. I think, uh, I think the people who got Rudolph in like the fishbowl in two tight end leagues, they, they got to be pretty happy with it because it's presumably free, but um, and, and I guess people who do have Brait and, and I don't know, I guess, I guess you, you generally have them in best ball if you're drafting this early, but if you do have a, a league where you cut players and pick up players, you might want to kind of you know pivot to Rudolph if you do have Brait, if you I need something I, from Brait. I think I scooped Brait in like the 19th or the 20th of my fishbowl. Um, so yeah, him too is a reasonable pick there. It's like it, maybe one of these guys does something, but it's just, I don't, I don't know how to tell which one. Yeah, it's it's going to be weird, and you know the the receiver room is so talented there, uh, especially if Godwin is able to hit the ground running. That you know, with, with no Gronk, it just doesn't feel like Brady is going to feel really inclined to to go to these tight ends unless like you know that there is some sort of 
chemistry that we ended that you know we didn't know about or, or that develops quickly in the in the case of Rudolph. But either way, it just kind of feels like like you were saying, uh, this offense might might trend a little bit further away from from using the tight end as you know a featured pass catcher. They really targeted uh, slot receivers in undrafted free agency too, like all of Jareth Stearns, that Utah State one, and uh, even even uh, Kalen Geiger. Uh, from Texas Tech, I think, is is underrated. So all those guys are slot players. Jalen Darden didn't do anything last year and didn't get into uh, the offense, apparently because he didn't know the playbook very well. And that almost explains all of why he was always playing outside receiver and basically would just do, like, bubble screens and stuff rather than play the slot, which is where you expect him to play. So uh, them with Gage, and then, of course, if Godwin does come back, uh, they're suited to play a lot of four wide this year, or it seems like they might be interested in doing it. Yeah, with, with Darden, Darden, you know, just a year ago was kind of like the group of five version of Elijah Moore in, in a lot of ways, at least on the production and athleticism spectrum. He was so but, good, and he had right. uh, he he was short. Um, he almost he almost might be like a you know middle class man's Wandale Robinson, and I, I think Wandale's this is unrelated, obviously, but I think Wandale's going to surprise some people. And uh, if, if Darden does know the playbook, I, he's, he's got to be more talented than last year's production would indicate. Yeah, I think so, too. So, I mean, he, he's probably still not someone that you're that you're targeting in, oh, in no. redrafts. But but, you know, like keep these him on, 3, on your thousand. Yeah, these are your three thousand dollar draft kings kind of files mm-hmm. that you want to keep in mind. Yeah, see, precisely. All right. Well said. Well said. Well, let's get on over. Uh, talk about uh, your rookie uh, best ball article um we touched on yesterday in, in the lost uh annals of yesterday's episode uh, a little bit on st- singing tampa bay rashad white damian pierce and isaiah spiller um if you could just quickly uh give us uh, uh, the breakdown on, on those guys quick before we before we get things rolling with jameson williams yeah white is a guy that uh you were a little higher on than me earlier this offseason and now I, I definitely think i was too low on him uh one thing that i didn't notice until recently is he had one of the least fake 40 times of this combine or these, these running backs of the combine. A lot of them have totally fake times like Brian Robinson, totally fake time, James Cook, fake time. But uh, so, so while, while Rashad white was listed as a four, four, eight, which is a tiny bit fake, his unofficial time I think was as low as four, five, one. And definitely I saw a four, five, three. So a four, five, three at six, one, two, 14, it's totally solid, especially because he had really good jumps and his production is that Arizona state was six. So, uh, unlike Giovanni Bernard and unlike Keyshawn Vaughn, Rashad White can actually play running back in the NFL. And I think he's going to take some targets from Fournette. And uh, in the event that Fournette has some sort of issue, be it you know conditioning or whatever else, White is a real threat to to produce from scrimmage, especially with that offensive line. No, I, th- I think so, too. I'm, I'm in on White. I think that the pass catching production in particular was really impressive from his time at Arizona State. Um, you know, get good running the ball too. Like, like you said, he's not just a, a sort of gadgety guy out there. Um, so I like his chances of, of at least carving out a role. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm not intimidated by the Gio Bernards and Keyshawn Vaughns of the world. It's really a, a, a question of, of, yeah, it's a question of just how quickly can uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, the, the classic uh, Fournette line, how, how quick does that water weight come off? Yeah, it's a lot 40, of water. 40 but... extra pounds. <laughs> He's he's got a lot of water to get out, but uh, yeah, maybe will maybe it doesn't matter if he does. I mean, I think I think White's just he's one of those guys when they give him the ball, he's going to produce. So uh, 
if if Lenny has so much as a cold stretch in a game, White could get the hot hand pretty easily. Yeah, I, I can absolutely see that as well. Also, quick note, uh, this podcast brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Uh, but continuing on, Damian Pierce, uh, Florida running back, now playing for the Houston Texans. I, I think that he's someone that landing spot, it couldn't have been much better. Like whichever running back that the Texans ended up selecting, it was, you know, it, it felt pretty like a fairly safe assumption that they were going to take at least one um, in the draft. And, you know, with with Pierce, he's not someone that I was – over overly you know over the moon on a, as a prospect but by virtue of him playing in in this offense without like the most intimidating depth chart in front of him you have to have at least a little bit of interest and that's obviously reflected uh, in him being like an 11th round type of pick right now yeah so pierce was a guy that i was totally agnostic on as a prospect like i, I didn't think he was going to go any earlier than the fourth round but i thought you know he might go in the fourth he went ahead of spiller didn't he so like that that was pretty surprising. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm making that up, uh, but I think uh, it, it wasn't ex- exactly expected for him to go as high as he did, but I thought it was totally justifiable. Um, he, he showed the ability to catch the ball at Florida and he showed the ability to run. Certainly well built. He's got a good running back frame at 5'10, 218. Uh, the 40 time is as with all of them fake, but his unofficial was four, six, six, which is both, you know, kind of bad, but, not necessarily prohibitively bad. Like if he was four, seven flat, then you're talking Daryl Williams kind of speed. Uh, but four, six, six, it's for how stocky he is. It's all right. And his 10 yard split was actually pretty good. I remember now. Uh, so he, he, he was below average in the 40, but his 10 yard split was totally solid. So, uh, if he can scale up the production that he showed at Florida and he both as a runner and receiver pretty much killed it, then, he could be a three down player, but we don't know because he only had a hundred carries last year. So he, he dominated on those hundred carries, but we don't know if he would maybe lose a step if he had to run as hard as he does for 150, 200 carries. Um, I I'm pretty optimistic for him abilities wise and uh, don't know what to make of the situation. I know Marlon Max getting some positive press. Uh, I don't really get it. I think Max like a poor man's Ronald Jones and he has an Achilles tear in his recent history. So uh, he can run a little bit, but he can't do anything on passing downs. And the Texans probably won't have that many early. Uh, they won't have that many game long carries because they're only going to be in the early game uh, a lot of weeks anyway, uh, aside from their upset weeks and maybe. But Mac is not obviously better as a pure runner than Pierce either. So I think the the bigger obstacle is Burkhead because Burkhead is adept at passing down functions, and uh, Pierce it could be. I don't I don't actually know about his pass blocking, but. Uh, he could still, I think, take the running work, uh, even if he's not polished as a, a blitz pickup guy. And if he does get the third down, if he gets the hurry up kind of third down stuff over Burkhead, then he's a three down player. And uh, those generally aren't available uh, at the end of the 10th round. No, that they're not. Um, so kind of, kind of going off the, the detail that you mentioned when it comes to, to Pearson and looking at his college production, uh, the, the lack of, you know, a workhorse type of workload. Who in your mind is at a bigger risk to be kind of more or less exposed if given more reps? Him, uh, Damian Pierce, that is, or James Cook, who topped out at 113 carries um, in his final season? Uh, Pierce is pretty easily a better prospect than Cook to me. Uh, Cook is like a six-round kind of prospect to me. Wherever you would take Justin Jackson, I would take James Cook there. Um, But, uh, yeah, Rashad White, by the way, clearly, clearly a better running back than James Cook. Um, so 
uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly on like the one percentile. Uh, like I, I'm about as low on Cook as anyone is, I suppose. But uh, I think people aren't thinking clearly on him. Yeah, you, you've had the good rationale on, on Cook all along. We'll see, like... but I could be just totally wrong. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I think everybody's. It's one of those things where it's just everybody's just bought in on faith you know it's like they're just they're they're kind of like gassing each other up too they're almost like they're almost saying it as like a, a mantra to keep each other hyped you know it's like yeah it's gonna it's gonna he's got second round draft capital dude he's got a, a 4 4 2 40 that's a real 40 the combined 40 times for the running backs are real this year and and cook is really that fast and it's fine that he's 199 pounds christian mccaffrey weighed 199 pounds once uh you know and so on I, I think that, that like there are elements of Cook's game that are like really interesting, but I don't think that those are things that become staples in an offense necessarily. Like when when you're in an offense that already has Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis, um, Khalil Shakir, you know, coming up, and, and you know, Jamison Crowder for in the interim, like Cook is really good at, or like unique at at, be, at being a running back that can like split out wide and, and run routes down the field. But like that's not going to be something that like the Bills are relying on with with any sort of like real regularity. And like he obviously like, like we've established, like he doesn't have the density, the frame, nor like the the production to really point to to where it's like, yeah, no, you can feel good about giving this guy a lot of carries. It's kind of um, it's kind of like a Naheem Hines problem to me where uh, people people think that it's just so sick and awesome to have a running back who just splits out wide. And if you do that and it's just, it's just a glorious event, but it's only useful if you're getting them either matched up against a linebacker or they're so good as a route runner that they can beat a safety or a corner even um, because that's when the defense is setting their personnel, they're watching that running back coming to the huddle. They're not putting the same person in on the field in response or just any running back. So when they see Cook, they're going to say either like, okay, he's so scary as a route runner, we got to put a corner on him. And then therefore in that look, it's most advantageous to run actually to be able to win as a run in that formation. Cause you got a, you got a corner where you normally have a linebacker. And when you can't actually execute the run threat to call their bluff, if they put that corner on the field, you didn't actually help anything. You just put a bad receiver on the field or you just ran uh, for less than the better running back than you would have. So I know people love PPR world and they, they kind of forget about the old one sometimes, but just catching a bunch of passes as a running back is not necessarily valuable. Theo Riddick was a drain on his offense and people, have, you see people even now try to be like, Oh man, this could be like Theo Riddick again. That was so fun. No, that sucked. That, that offense sucked. What are you talking about? Um, so yeah, I, I, I think James Cook is fine, but there's just nothing he gives you that Justin Jackson wouldn't. And Justin Jackson actually carried the ball like a thousand times at Northwestern and he didn't break down doing it. No, exactly. So I, I think, un- unfortunately, they, I think Cook is going to make those cool plays that uh, you just don't stop hearing about on, on Twitter. But I, I think, you know, m- maybe it ends up working out well for the Cook faders in the sense that it's like, okay, he had like one like nice 25 yard reception and also had like four carries for 16 yards. And uh, that was it. He could do some good things. Like you said, like he he's, there are some plays that he makes. Well, the problem is they're not necessarily better than some of the alternatives in that capacity. And he can't do more than that. Like if you try to, just because he makes a big play on a, like a screen pass or something doesn't mean, Oh, give him five carries now that he, he it's, he's rolling. It's going to work. Like you want to give him, 
more exposure. One of those times, someone's going to square him up. And he's going to be five foot 11, 199, and that guy ahead of him is going to be six foot 245, and he's going to get clobbered, and then he's not going to play the rest of the game. So that's the kind of stuff that you know football coaches have to sort out in practice, and they notice things like, oh, this guy gets clobbered when we do this. Let's not put him in harm's way like that again. A lot of people who just look at you know uh, uh, stat splits and you know projections and stuff, they don't understand, they don't keep in mind the material, physical reality of the game, and they don't interrogate whether the things they assume make any sense physically. The idea of James Cook just going nuts between the tackles is just laughable. Yep. And, you know, that we have four years of evidence uh, of, of that. Tristan Ebner does every single thing better than Cook than what people, you know, hype Cook about. Like, Ebner did a lot of wide receiver stuff in college and way more and better. And he ran more and better. Uh, Not not more efficiently, but he he definitely ran a lot more in terms of, you know, the share of the offense. So, yeah, that that Cook would go in the second round when an exactly like at worst, Ebner is exactly the same as Cook. He goes in the sixth round. Like the team making the investment is not thinking clearly either. So the investment is not as significant as it would be another second round pick when it like actually would make sense to take that player. Thank you. And uh, Crackshot chimes in. Nice take, genius. I assume uh, no sarcasm on that this one. Is, I think this is one of the Javante fans. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be one of those. I used to have a lot of people who would uh, bother me about how, like, you said Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry were good. What? What? what where are you now? What are you doing? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, after that, they're like, oh, Trent Richardson. Nice call, idiot. Yeah, this is going to work out for you. Keep running your mouth, man. I'm never... I'm never right about running backs in particular. No, no, but just batting a, a cool. I've never zero. been right about a running back. Nope. St- still waiting. St- still waiting. Um, speaking of more running backs, Isaiah Spiller, what's up with him? Uh, he's on a really good offense and he can do some stuff, some, some important base function tasks that no one else on the team can do. And specifically like short yardage kind of stuff between the tackles kind of stuff. Uh, which Austin Eckler was asking for less exposure. Uh, he's kind of sick of, you know, running in the mud and who could blame him. Uh, he's like 5'9", 190, and uh, it's not where guys, his his build want to make their living. He wants to be out in space running routes. So Spiller's going to take a lot of that dirty work, and uh, some of that dirty work is how Eckler got 12 rushing touchdowns last year on 200 carries. So I think Spiller's going to take a few of those, and, uh, you know, his upside beyond that just – Depends on how good he actually is, which uh, I didn't think he was worth like a second or third round pick. And I wasn't exactly like racing to make the pick in the fourth round, but I thought he was a totally good pick there. And um, if he turns out to be good, it's like, why would why would a generally good running back in this offense not be valuable when, you know, the lead running back is also a receiver halftime? Right. And, you know, again, like you mentioned, the the Chargers are going to be in scoring range plenty um, and they don't really have much in the way of tight ends. So, so maybe that, that short yardage uh, run game gets a little bit more featured down there and, and Spiller, you know, does fit that mold uh, pretty nicely. Uh, before we move on over to Jamison Williams, uh, we got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You'll have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at DynastyOwner.com and use promo code ROTO5, that's R-O-T-O-5, the the number, the digits, to receive $5 off any new team. Again, that's R-O-T-O-5. All right, onwards. Jameson Williams, uh, he's someone who... You know, I, I, I wrote about it on, on draft night. I couldn't be more optimistic for the future for Jamison Williams, but I really just couldn't be much more pessimistic for for the rookie year outlook. And like that, rarely do do I have a chasm that big between like the long term outlook and oh, this is going to not go so well uh, his rookie year. And I, I'd be happy to eat the crow if if he ends up actually playing well, but I just don't see it between the ACL injury and in, in in the time that that it happened. You know, January and then. In addition to that, playing with a guy in, in Jared Goff, who, you know, led the league in lowest average depth of throw last year. It just those those two kind of skill sets just don't really match up. And then you add on the, the injury factor. It's like, what are we looking at for this year? Yeah, I mean, we were both pretty high, I think, on Jamison Williams oh, yeah. relative to the field. And there was plenty of uh, hope, optimism for him, even despite that ACL tear. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I just... Uh, golf alone is enough to to scare me a bit and the price just isn't really assuming much risk I feel like I mean it's a I know it's not exactly a high pick but 135 that's uh I just don't think I would even really want Williams there if I was a sure he's playing the whole year and b DJ Chark wasn't there but I think uh, as much as he's going to play pretty much the whole year he might not play more than something like 20 25 snaps in a lot of games, he might not play 40 snaps in a single game all year. And part of that is, yes, just acclimating him slowly, probably not giving him any you know, slot routes. You're probably not giving him that many different assignments. You're probably having him focus on kind of one area uh, this year. And this year, DJ Chark is playing on a one-year contract. So, yeah, Chark, I think, is pretty clearly gone after this year. And then it's wheel up for, for Williams' playing time. Then he's, then he's playing you know, 1100 snaps, however many snaps he can play. He's playing them in 2023. But this year, I think you're looking at more of something like, I don't know, 550, 650 snaps. And then Jared Goff is the quarterback. So, and, and even as, even before you get into the efficiency issues with Goff, or even like, you know, the, the target viable, like the, even getting looked at by Goff, 
when you're running 17 yards downfield, it might be a non-starter. But even aside from that, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown and TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, they're going to get a lot of targets. It's not going to be easy to draw targets from them. And then Chark, too. So I just don't see the way Williams gets it going, uh, at least not at this price. Maybe if he started falling to, like, you know, at least the 15th round, I'd, I'd rethink it. But right now, it's just no thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm out uh, for for anything that that just only involves uh, this year. So, um, you know, again, I think Williams and this is uh, becoming a fairly common refrain on, on Twitter dot com. But, you know, like a love James Jameson in, in Dynasty and in, in keeper formats. But for, for this year, like I'm, I'll probably get like a best ball share or two just because he is that that electric that, you know, maybe he does have a, a couple of spike weeks thrown in there. But I, I think in general, it's just it's not going to be a good investment that results in a lot of consistent production. Like you said, like in, in addition to the the golf variable, they, they have a bevy of good pass catchers that fit a lot better with what golf likes to do with Hawkinson and, and Amon Ross St. Brown. So it's it's a no for me, dog, as Randy Jackson would once say. Yeah, and I'm not even really interested in Chark either. And I love I think Chark's clearly one of the most underrated those guys, Shark and Jameson Williams, this year anyway, are there to clear out space for the other guys, more or less. Yep, exactly. So let's move on over to another receiver with, with a very similar uh, ADP to, to Jameson Williams. And that's Jahan Dotson. Uh, looking back to NFC data, uh, since dating back to July 1st, Dotson actually slightly ahead of Jameson Williams now. Um, at 145.93 versus Williams around 149.62. Uh, uh, but the highest pick for, for both Williams at 99 and Dotson 115. So the, the highest person on Williams has been much higher on him than, than Dotson's biggest fan. But I like Dotson a lot. I think we kind of have a similar issue here, though, when it, when it comes to the, the quarterback uh, question. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that Dotson would be going higher in NFFC. There, uh, aside from the PPR point, making it a little bit different, uh, it's just sharper. And Dotson should be going ahead of Jameis and Williams, no matter the format. It's just not even close, in my opinion. Um, even if Curtis Samuel stays healthy all year, which doesn't seem like something you want play at least 850 snaps something like that I mean he's polished he's ready to play three downs right now so uh and with those three downs I think he could be you know very productive player very effective receiver just don't know about Carson Wentz and uh you know maybe maybe Wentz somehow plays better than he did with with the Colts sometimes Scott Turner's kind of club I I generally don't like uh, his judgment with personnel but sometimes Scott Turner has some decent offensive ideas and uh, maybe Wentz gets a little better for it, and maybe Dotson benefits from it. I, I don't know. I, I think I'm really pessimistic about Wentz playing well in any scenario. So uh, I love Dotson's abilities. I just uh, I, I'm probably not going to pick him that many times. If I'm picking him, it's probably because I got myself in a situation where I kind of just need a receiver, and I hate all the other options. Um, you know, to to kind of borrow a, a line of thinking of yours, sometimes when when it comes to talking about like bad offenses, you know, um. You're projecting Washington for what, like 3,800, maybe 4,000 passing yards, something like that. And McLaurin gets, you know, X percentage of that share. But, you know, that even if it's ugly as sin, 
they're still going there at the end of the day, there's still going to be passing yardage in this offense to go around, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'm not expecting like Logan Thomas. I don't, they don't have any other tight ends. Right. So I don't think, I don't think the tight ends are going to do that much. JD McKissick is going to get a lot of targets and not do a whole lot with them. Uh, yeah. If, if, if Wentz gets to like 4,100, 4,200 yards, then Dotson over under probably like, I don't know, like 800 or something almost. Yeah, that, that's the number that, that popped into my head as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, that's all there. I, I do need to, to get some more shares of, of dots, and I, I think. Um, and you, you like him? Obviously, we were just talking NFFC, so full point PPR scoring, but but underdog, same deal? Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe he's a little more bankable, I guess, in PPR just because, uh, I don't know, I don't expect Wentz to throw a lot of touchdowns exactly, but – I don't want to rule out Dotson being pretty much just as valuable in half point PPR. I, th- I think uh, you know, he's an explosive player, and if, if if the passes are on tar- on target, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't produce you know yardage and uh, maybe some touchdowns because he is fast. He's he's definitely elusive. It's like at Penn State, he was a workhorse guy, and you know he didn't do KJ Hamler stuff. But that's you can't really do KJ Hamler stuff when you're uh, you know getting targeted every four plays. Yeah, the 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 target share for for Dotson was nuts. He was such like a free space in in a DFS um, last year. Uh, sticking with Washington for a second, have we already given up on Deami Brown? I haven't, but I mean he's he's got certain limitations. Um, you know, he wasn't quite as fast as I think you want a player of his uh, skill set and build to be. Like he's pretty skinny, and he's um, he, he's better situated downfield I think than in toward the sideline than over the middle of the field or underneath and I know he made some plays in those parts of the field at North Carolina but I, I think it was one of those cases where it's like you can get away with it here but not in the NFL and then if you're reduced to kind of a peripheral specialist kind of function you need to be really good at it and if you're a speed specialist you need to be actually fast and uh, he's he's pretty fast but you know he's he's built like Will Fuller, but he's he runs a four four seven or something rather than the four three, whatever Will Fuller ran. Uh, so it's it, the the production that DeAndre Brown showed at North Carolina, I think, indicates that he has real skill within that function. And I think if with he with like a better downfield passing quarterback, uh, he could still get it going. He still is young. I mean, he was an underclassman uh, receiver prospect, so. Sometimes the first year just goes horribly, and sometimes it just doesn't mean that much. But in the meantime, he's at the very least not going to play unless Samuel gets hurt. All right, so we're we're looking at Deami Brown when he when Sam Howell takes over next year. That's, right, when, that's, that's when we go. We're we're going yeah all in at that particular second. Yep. Uh, so we I'll might see waiting. Howell this year. By the way, if Wentz if Wentz does what he did in, in Indianapolis, uh, yeah, we might see Howell this year. Oh boy. Yeah. All right. So I'm for um, Why, why not? <laughs> yeah. I guess like if you're a Washington fan, other dumb things, why not <laughs> this? It's cool. Yeah. See, at least it's cool. At least there's that. Um, let's move on over sticking in the NFC East Jalen Tolbert, someone that we've talked a little bit about of late and just kind of identified him as someone who, if you, if you're taking a look at the rest of the the Cowboys receiving depth chart, you know, beyond CD lamb, nothing's really nailed down so much. So I I think at the very least Jalen Tolbert has a chance. I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite as much of a lock as some people want to, want to believe on Twitter. 
Um, but I, I do think that I'm more interested in, in it, it more interested in betting on Tolbert making that happen uh, than I am in investing in in a, a you know recovering from injury Michael Gallup or a James Washington who I think we already know kind of who he is at this stage. Um, I, I'm a little more open to Washington doing something, and he he's so much cheaper. I actually do prefer him an okay. underdog over Jalen Tol- Jalen Tolbert. Uh, in the draft I did yesterday, went in the 11th round, which uh, the receivers were maybe going a little higher than usual, but I, I'm definitely not interested there. Uh, I'd be interested more like in the, uh, I would want to wait till like the 15th at least, but more realistically, 14th, I believe he tends to go in the 13th, late 12th, something like that. Uh, Tolbert is interesting, and he's definitely not a player that I want to fade exactly. Uh, the thing that he has going for him is he can play slot or outside, and while he's not a burner, and you don't really want him running like 20 yard posts all that much. He has the, you know, skill set, the acumen to kind of play downfield a little bit. Um, so if, if he's against a slow corner, you know, he can, he can make that downfield player. If somebody kind of trips or something, or if there's a sit, the, the corner just kind of isn't looking the right way when the ball is in the air, he can make some downfield plays now and then. Uh, but I think he's more so going to make his living as an intermediate receiver, uh, maybe a little bit underneath. I mean, he can, he can definitely do some stuff after the catch, uh, seems to be pretty good at getting releases and running routes and things like that. So when there's a route or a target to distribute in the first 15 yards, I think Tolbert's always going to be a viable candidate for it. So it's easy to imagine ways that he's sort of just involved and, in, you know, with involvement and in a good enough offense, uh, you know, good enough quarterback that, that alone can make a, a receiver a, a pretty good pick at this range. But the, the premise that I question is whether he's actually going to get, that level of involvement or at least so much more than Washington that it, that it makes their current ADP differential make sense. I just, I just don't think it does. And um, Washington's making the team. Uh, they can't, they gave him like a fully guaranteed contract. It's, it's clearly one of those, you know, one year bet on yourself kind of deals uh, with James Washington. And he's, he's a guy who really suffered for Ben Roethlisberger's decline. Like he, He's not a quick hitting receiver, and Ben Roethlisberger had to get rid of the ball really quick, uh, both because he couldn't actually throw to very many parts of the field, and most of them were very close to the line of scrimmage, uh, and because uh, he he wasn't throwing downfield, which is where James Washington is probably most comfortable, and, and the reason Washington has been a little disappointing in the NFL is he doesn't have actually good downfield speed. He should probably lose weight. He's like overly well-built for a receiver uh, that needs to make a living downfield. Like he's 5'11", 215 or something. Yeah, so like nice running back. Yeah, he's, he's built like a, a like Damian Pierce, and he's trying to run like 40-yard fly routes in the NFL. And like, yeah, that maybe you're fast enough in the Big 12, but not here. Uh, the thing is, in Dallas, he might be, you know, fast enough to get open on some post routes, get open on – especially because the defense isn't going to be paying much attention to him. And uh, his first two years, and especially his second year, he was actually good in Pittsburgh. So I, I think Washington, you know, not like not a lot, like 700 yards, maybe something like that. But uh, I just don't think Tolbert's going much higher than that either. And he, he goes um, something like seven to eight rounds earlier. OK. All right. That's it. That's a good point on, on Washington. I might might have to circle back and, and you know, target him a little bit in, in some late rounds. And you said that your kind of final verdict 
on Tolbert is, is more so if he's part uh, of a Dallas like passing game stack. Yeah, if you if you have Dak and Ceedee Lamb and, and you got to reach a little bit to take Tolbert, like, well that in that case it makes you know the, the exception sense. So uh, th- there's always exceptions to things. I just I think at his current price, at, definitely for me, he's not like a staple target. Okay. All right. Understood. Well said. As per usual, let's keep it going here. Next up, we've got Tyler Algier. So going back to the running backs, um, I think this is an interesting one. I think a lot of people and, you know, myself included, don't know exactly what the shape of this Atlanta running game is going to look like. I I think that there is some, you know, some ingenuity obviously showed by Arthur Smith a year ago, but can, can they kind of like catch lightning in a bottle twice as, as far as his production is concerned. And then, you know, what, what's up for negotiation uh, after Patterson on this depth chart? Well, I think Patterson's locked in and I love him at ADP. I think people are getting him wrong. Uh, like I know uh, he fell off at one point in the year and he got hurt, uh, but he, his yards per carry was largely so low because he was getting so many red zone carries, which he's just not suited to. And he wasn't very effective at it. And it was driving down his yards per carry. They're going to give a lot of those red zone carries to uh, some combination of Tyler Algier and maybe Damian Williams if he doesn't get hurt and makes the roster. So I, I was probably a, I, mean, I did not like Tyler Algier in the 12th round. And I was critical of that price at the time, but I, I might have been like a little too critical about it because if Damian Williams is out of the way, I mean, it's easy to forget Mike Davis was getting a ton of work last year, even with Corderell going off. It's just Mike Davis didn't do anything with his touches. They just didn't go anywhere. But he was getting a lot because they didn't have anybody else to take them. So there could be a surprising number of carries and targets to split up after Corderell. And if Alger is getting the opportunity, I don't want to bet against him. As a runner, anyway, I don't want to bet against him. I'm kind of skeptical that he can function on passing downs, uh, at least as a pass catcher. Maybe he's a good blocker. He's certainly got the, the frame and the strength to do it. Uh, but Algier is really interesting because he's a big back who had a ton of explosive plays as a runner in college. And I think he, he does know how to run. He's, he's uh, the, the numbers that he posted kind of indicated itself, but when you watch, it makes sense that he produced the way he did because he's, he runs with a lot of motor. He, he has a pretty good balance and like flexibility, you know, flexibility, but good balance for a big back. Like sometimes guys just kind of, you know, barrel through the field and, and are just stomping and, uh, they, they kind of have their feet slip out from out, uh, underneath them when they, they're stuck. Like, uh, I kind of see that happen with AJ Dillon a couple times. Not that I'm saying he has bad balance, but it's like, you don't really see Algier slip, uh, on the field and he, he's good at kind of changing his, 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 uh, pad levels to, to sort of get the best crack on the defender and, and make the most of his strength. And he has, he has a plenty of it. Uh, the one thing about him is that's, that's, uh, maybe concerning is he ran a four, six, four, 40, at 224 pounds, which is, I mean, he looks bigger than 224 in that BYU tape. I almost wonder if he, he lost a little weight because uh, 224 is only two more pounds than Damian Williams. And Damian Williams ran a 445, granted, eight years ago. But he's definitely faster than Algier even now. He'll be faster than Algier in three years. So Damian Williams is not much smaller than Algier, i.e. he can plausibly do a lot of the power elements that Algier might be otherwise a candidate for. And he's a lot faster. And Damian Williams, uh, I think, crucially, is very good at passing down functions. And Alger could be. I don't. I don't know how to, how to call that for sure. But we know for sure that Damian Williams is really good at pass catching, uh, third down stuff. So 
I think there's if Williams doesn't get hurt, and granted he probably will at some point, but if he doesn't get hurt in training camp, I think he'll make the team. And if he makes the team, I think he gets those Mike Davis targets. And Algier gets not necessarily more than, I don't know, half of the Mike Davis carries. So Algier could still be kind of useful. And if he gets that full runway to himself, I really like him. But I think Damian Williams might kind of muck it up more than the current ADP is uh, assuming. Yes. So, so um, yeah, Damian Williams could, could be that that fly in the proverbial ointment for, for the Algier believers. But so has his ADP Algiers uh, slid a little bit? In, I think in it's more weeks? in the 13th kind of, okay. but um, there's some exceptions. I mean, I'm sure some people out there really want to get a lot of him and they're probably willing to take him in the 12th or whatever. Um, and some drafts people might be more likely to, they might slip their mind a little and he might fall to the 13th or 14th or something. All right. But I, 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 right, that, I, if, if I get the shot to take him in the 14th, I probably need to because I don't want to have zero exposure, and I don't think his price is going to get any lower than that. Yeah, I, th- I think I have a decent bit. I think I've probably got him on like two or so uh, underdog teams thus far. Um, I, m- I might be interested in, in acquiring a little bit more, especially um, after this, but obviously while, while still acknowledging the, the Damian Williams conundrum. Yeah, and if Damian Williams gets hurt, then Algiers – I don't know, going to go ahead, probably like ahead of Patterson or something. So, uh, yeah, it's it's something to think about from that angle, if nothing else. Yep, absolutely. All right, let, let's get on to someone who, uh, if, I, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, if I've been paying attention at all over the over these last six months or whatever, maybe not super excited about Tyrion Davis-Price. <laughs> yeah, um, so whatever, he might be the next Jeff Wilson or something, but Jeff Wilson's already the next Jeff Wilson. And uh, we already saw last year that the whole, the whole thing about like, you have to give deference to draft capital. There's no way a coach, a coach who very handpicked a a running back himself in the third round would, would let a six rounder play ahead of him. That's not how this world works. And then uh, Elijah Mitchell just took 20 carry role, Trey Sermon, disappeared forever apparently um and or at least you know long enough for us to do the same thing this year with Tyrion davis price or hey he's a third rounder uh shanahan benched matt breed that one time remember when kyle shanahan benched that 190 pound fumbler uh who he gave 10 he only was giving 10 carries per game to in the first place that's the same thing as elijah mitchell who's a 200 you know 10 pounder who runs as a four four five and had uh, like six 20 carry games last year. It was good in basically all of them. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's exactly the same. I don't know why we're just we're just presuming that there's some sort of rotation that'll occur here at all. I mean, I think Tyrion Davis Price is there because Shanahan doesn't want to end up in the situation that he did last year, which was he had a third round pick running back, uh, but he was so bad that they had to make Elijah Mitchell take 25 carries a game on a bad knee instead. They don't want to put Mitchell on that bad knee again if they don't have to. So they took a running back, hoping that this pick would give them an alternative in that case. But that didn't help them last year. So I don't see why we're taking it as a given that this time it would be any better. And let's be clear, Sermon is definitely a better prospect than Tyrion Davis-Price. Sermon was actually productive in college and not just for one game. So uh, 4.25 is the yards per carry that Tyrion Davis-Price has in cumulatively in all the other games, aside from that Florida game last year, when he had like 280 yards and 36 carries. So 
I don't know who the last running back to get drafted even and uh, have that low of a career yards per carry is. And I, I don't know, uh, certainly not in like the day two kind of discussion. I, I can't think of any player who did that. The last running back that I can remember who was that unproductive and still was somewhat hyped and got drafted uh, in the first four rounds, there was Jamie Harper out of Clemson, who was this big, fast guy who sucked, but he went in the fourth round because he was big and fast. And uh, even worse yet, there was Chris Henry from Arizona, who was this 230-pound uh, guy who ran a 4.44 or something, uh, which got him drafted in the second round, even though he averaged like 3.2 yards per carry at Arizona. Those are the only two players I can remember who have production as bad as Tyrion Davis-Price, and he's a worse athlete than both of them. Right, but yeah, I mean, I think that during during like the kind of pre-draft part of of the off season, we spent infinitely more time talking about guys like Pierre Strong or oh, Kevin yeah. Harris that than we did TDP. Like Davis, he was using like my trash of, bin. I didn't think he was. I was like, this guy's not getting drafted. Are you kidding me? No. So I mean, and and like you said, he he had all of one good game during, during his time at LSU. And it's not like they've been like churning out these crazy running backs in, in recent years. Right. Uh, so the other thing people like to do with Tyrion Davis price, uh, the, the things that some people like to repeat that they heard previously and, and or otherwise just guess and hope is true is that Tyrion Davis price is a power element or he's, he's an athletic alternative to Jeff Wilson. He's a, he's pretty much the same athlete that Jeff Wilson is. And after being listed at 223 or 232 between the at LSU, he came into the combine at 211, and he ran a 44. Uh, he ran a 458 unofficial, so he actually ran a 458 at six foot 211. So he's either at, at six foot 211. By the way, he is both too skinny and not fast, which is and he had a bad ju- bad vertical jump too. Yeah, you're you're just getting annihilated at six foot two eleven as a slow running back. Like you better run like the wind if you're that skinny. He definitely doesn't do that. And if he's running a four five eight at two eleven, and and the theory is like, oh, well, we're we're gonna bulk him back up to you know have a real bruiser, then okay, so he's four five eight at two eleven. What do you think eleven pounds is gonna do? What do you think twenty two pounds is gonna do? That's he's gonna be uh, running like a four seven five by the time you get him back to two thirty. And uh, Jeff Wilson's going to be, you know, lapping him in the 40. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's bad scouting by a guy who has a long history of scouting running backs poorly. I mean, Joe Williams did not amount to anything. Trey Sermon did not amount to anything. Elijah Mitchell, the one they barely wanted, was the good one. And now, we, now we're supposed to believe, oh, but Shanahan really liked Tyrion Davis Price. He handpicked him. That's a reason to not like him. That's a reason to be like, <laughs> oh, he's he's toast. He stands no chance. See, th- thank you. Yeah. So I mean, I, that I do not think that the outlook is particularly rosy for him. Not just this year, but I mean, I won't be shocked if he's just kind of not in the league after a couple years. I don't think he will be. And if he goes, if he goes late enough, then sure, go ahead and pick him, especially in or rather in any format, if it's, if it's truly like one of the last few rounds, then go ahead. But someone takes him in like the 12th or the 13th in almost every draft that I'm in. And it's insane. It just, yeah. Let, lets you know uh, who the mark in your it's draft also, it's is. It's informing the market. It's, it's a reflection of the market of uh, Elijah Mitchell too. It's like the extent to which Elijah Mitchell is going too late. And the extent to which people say ignorant things about him is the extent to which people get hyped on Tyrion Davis price. Like you, it, one is subsidizing the other and it's just clear which one is wrong. Yeah, very, very much so. So I, I'll continue to, to get the discounted Elijah Mitchells. 
wherever I can. All right, let's wrap things up here. Uh, Alec Pierce, uh, real quick on, on him, the the rookie receiver out of Cincinnati, who you know really kind of made himself some money uh, with his combine performance. Yeah, I mean, we said it for the whole offseason, and you didn't really see mainstream media catch up on it. Like, they were ca- talking about him like he was going to be a fourth or a fifth rounder. Like, no, nah, he's going in the second. He's good. Um, he's he's six foot three, two eleven, which is – that one's kind of skinny, but fine, especially because uh, he does have speed. And if you're a little too skinny, you can get away with it if you're way faster than everybody else. And uh, he's he's much faster than most six foot eleven <laughs> – six foot three, two hundred eleven pound. Uh, That's Jelani Woods. Yeah, that's Jelani Woods, uh, six foot. He's the, the mountain the tight end. Uh, but Alec Pierce is four four one. He had a, he, he was he got kind of ripped off. He had a four three three unofficial, and then the overnight they lowered it to a four four one. Good jumps, very clean numbers at Cincinnati. Basically, nobody produced as a pass catcher at Cincinnati the past four years except for Alec Pierce. Sorry, three, and um, he's he's got uh, that outside downfield sideline ability skill set to go with the perfect frame and athletic traits to function in that part of the field. So he's, a, he's exactly what the Colts needed too. I mean, Paris Campbell, he's certainly fast, but he's not, he's not ideally running downfield. You want him getting the ball underneath so he can run away from people. Uh, Alec Pierce is perfectly suited to running those routes. Like he, he's at risk of decoy stuff, but he's also better at running those routes than Campbell is. So he he, especially off play action, running like a post route downfield could be really tough to stop. So maybe Pierce only gets something like 60 targets. I bet he gets more. I bet he plays something like 850, 900 snaps and gets to uh, at least 80 targets. But in uh, as much as that's a limiting factor, not a not a good thing. He could be one of those guys who ranks really high in yards per target, yards per catch, uh, touchdown percentage, because with Jonathan Taylor at running back, especially there's going to be a safety brought up to the box at some some point this year where they shouldn't have in the play action. The, the corner is going to let him get behind him a little bit, and it's just going to be gone. Yeah, I, I like Pierce a lot for, for this year and, and beyond. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm honestly surprised. Like among some of the um, other rookies that, that are going like well ahead of him and, and you know, especially the, the difference in ADP specifically i'm just like well you know i I think he's he's definitely a worthwhile shot um where where he's going so i i fully endorse grabbing some shares as long as things stay where they are or you know maybe get them in now before you know things start to change and you know he's lighting it up in training camp and things start to scooch up yeah i I wish i had some shares i don't think i do uh i I, i'm anxious about it i would like to change that because i i think he's going to end up being worth like a 12th round pick honestly that that's good profit, especially Going considering in the 15th, 15th. Yeah. So love that. All right. That's going to round things out for us here today on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try Roadwire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.